Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. Journalists are supposed to tell the truth, to get the story right. But many Americans, especially many conservatives, are growing more and more skeptical about what they read, listen to, or watch on the news. As we'll hear, they often have good reasons to feel that way. Trusting news, the problem and solutions. Joy Mayer. So many people get news sort of haphazardly. They get news ambiently. You know, it's like whatever comes to them is what they see and they they live in this bubble of of what they and their friends think. And and they have a lot of assumptions about journalism that are not accurate. And so nobody's going to fix that except journalists. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Journalists aren't held in very high regard by the American public, and it's getting worse. That's not just a problem for journalism. It's a problem for democracy. And the split is especially clear along party lines. Republicans are much more likely to distrust journalists than Democrats. According to a poll by Pew Research, only half of Americans have at least a fair amount of confidence that journalists act in the best interests of the public. 53% say journalists don't care about the people they report on. Joy Mayer is our guest. She's director of the nonprofit Trusting News, which is working with local newsrooms around the country to help them regain their consumers' trust. Joy joins us from Sarasota, Florida. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I like fixing things. Shall we fix some things? Yes. And I think Jim should ask the first question because it's it's about liberals. Yeah. Can we fix trust in journalism? Democrats tend to think their news sources are pretty good, but trust among Republican voters is very low. Are most journalists just really liberal? Yes, absolutely. More people who go into journalism are liberal. I think it's something we need to talk about more openly and uh, figure out, wrestle with and figure out what to do with. I think some of that is because of the kinds of people who go into journalism and we can talk about what their values and priorities are as like human beings where they find meaningful work. And I think some of it is also as media consolidates and journalism jobs are lost, more of them are located in big blue cities, frankly, um, and are not as dispersed into uh, the rest of the country. Given that most journalists are liberals, does that make it more difficult for them to see themselves as fair? Or do they think of this as a problem? One of the things I'm working on is helping them see that it's a problem. I think even acknowledging it is difficult. You know, there are a lot of ways that journalists are trained to look at things from multiple perspectives and to sort of account for their own worldview and assumptions. And so, you know, you go into coverage of anything, recognizing what you know about it and what you don't know about it and how who you are as a person affects your priorities and values and that sort of thing. In some ways, we're trained to really talk about that as journalists. When it comes to political views, we actually tend to pride ourselves on not talking about it. And I think that's to our detriment. 
Um, I don't think you should have to answer a survey about who you voted for when you when you enter a newsroom job. But I do think that newsrooms should think more about um, intellectual diversity. Do we have veterans on staff? Do we have people from small towns on staff? You know, where do we where do we come from and what do we all have in common? You don't just try to encourage people to think that way. You also do a lot of research to really dig down to what people think. You recently launched a project called A Road to Pluralism that included a big survey of right-leaning media consumers. What did you find out? Yeah, we sent local journalists out. We did a survey and then um, conducted 91 interviews with people who lean right to find out what they think about local news. And, you know, um, I mean, we found out a lot about what they think of what gets covered, what doesn't get covered what words are included in stories, what angles are taken on stories. Um, we heard a lot about the values they feel are embedded in the news, values that don't match their own. You know, fundamentally, a lot of people who lean right don't feel like the news is made for and by people like them. And that causes them to just uh, write it off as irrelevant. Um, I work primarily with local newsrooms. You know, sometimes that's true for coverage of local news. A lot of times it's the national news embedded in the local news. They might be mad about the coverage of Afghanistan that they're seeing on the front page of their local newspaper and are judging the local newspaper based on that and um, are then frustrated with media bias locally as well. Trust in local news is definitely higher than it is in national news, um, but the frustration is there. As you mentioned, you work mostly with local newsrooms, local reporters, do you think that's where the hope lies in trying to improve trust in journalism? I sure do think that. And I think that for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, the stakes are really high with local news in terms of people's actual lives and the tangible effects of what's getting covered and their relationship to the things getting covered. You know, there, there's so much of news that is not about politics. And and so when you are consuming coverage of the new traffic circle in your town or the, you know, high school sports or the new math curriculum or something, people tend to find that more fair than they do coverage of politics. And that's a lot of what makes up local news. Um, and also local news has a lot at stake right now. The, the business model for local news is imploding. And, and I think that, you know, I've had a lot of editors tell me recently, if I don't figure out how to be relevant to more of the people I aim to serve, to more of my community, then it's hard to um, hard to imagine how we stay in business. You know, I've seen firsthand how hard local journalism is at every level. My wife used to be the editor of our local news weekly, and the economics are just brutal. Are you hopeful that building a little bit more trust and maybe improving the quality of local journalism can help fight some of those those trends that are are working against these uh, very important institutions? Well, we have to figure this out because there are there are a lot of signs that democracy really suffers when local news goes away. You know, communities get more polarized, they're more likely to vote straight ticket, fewer people run for office. It's bad for communities when there's no local news, but you're absolutely right that journalists are getting laid off left and right at a time where the demand for news is really high. Um, a friend of mine who was an editor in North Carolina um, sent this amazing tweet during earlier in the pandemic that said, we've had historic readership, we're up 300%, but we're laying off journalists because the demand and the, the financial obligations, just they just don't line up. And so um, people need local news. You know, nobody's saying during coronavirus, stop telling me what the numbers are in my local hospital and what the schools are doing about it and which businesses are open and closed. Like people need it. Um, but they also expect to get information free. Joy, it's pretty obvious to me that you're passionate 
about this subject. Why? What gets you up every morning to go to work at Trusting News? Well, I feel very strongly that um, that facts are really important. And also, I think that as people decide what their information diet is going to be, I want them to do that in an informed way. So many people get news sort of haphazardly. They get news ambiently. You know, it's like whatever comes to them is what they see. And they they live in this bubble of, of what they and their friends think. And, and they have a lot of assumptions about journalism that are not accurate. And so nobody's going to fix that except journalists. So what gets me up every morning is helping journalists hit pause on their relentless news cycle and deadlines long enough to understand what people think of their work and to give them tools to address it and to fix the broken relationship. Let's say, you know, somebody is an experienced reporter somewhere. They don't necessarily think they're biased. What are some of the ways that you coach journalists to be more self-aware or to, to identify signs of bias in their own work? Well, we talk a lot about transparency. How are we pulling back the curtain on what we're doing in a way that will shed light on our ethics and our processes? All of the decisions journalists make are invisible. And we forget that. They're invisible unless we shine a light on them. So all the time we spend deciding what word to use, which sources to include, how much attention to give something, whether or not to run this graphic photo, um, all of it is invisible and journalists don't really understand how they would work that into their processes. And so we show them, put these extra words in your social posts or your newsletter, attach a box with a story that explains where these sources come from and why you trust them. We're trying to give them language that they can use to build into their processes and also, also their products. Also, there's a lot that journalists assume people know about their ethics Journalists follow a pretty strict code of ethics for the most part. Certainly the journalists, the newsrooms where I've worked, and certainly the journalists that I'm lucky enough to work with now, the ones who self-select. But most people have no idea about that. Exactly. It may or may not be posted on their website. And even if it is, they probably never point anybody to it. They certainly don't put a link in a story most of the time that says, in accordance with our ethics policy, we gave the source 24 hours to get back to us. Um, you know, there are a lot of examples you could give. One funny example is that, do you know that there's a disturbingly high percentage of people who think that when journalists use an anonymous source, that the source is anonymous to the journalists, that they just publish something and don't even know who it is? Well, that's our fault. Because we don't explain that in most newsrooms, there is a whole series of steps and multiple staff members going pretty high up the food chain who have to sign off on the use of an, of an anonymous source. What um, are some examples of, of things done well? I'm thinking of one myself, which is one of my favorite publications is the Christian Science Monitor. And one of the things they do in front of a lot of their articles is they answer a question they ask themselves, which is, why did we decide to write this piece? Yeah, we've actually we've actually worked with them, and I, I love that they do that. Um, that's another thing that we take for granted as being obvious, when in fact it's not at all obvious. We definitely find that sometimes a neutrally phrased question provided in a clear way can set the tone as people dive into the information, they're starting from the same place you are. People also really do believe that journalists pick and choose facts um, to support a hidden agenda. And when you start with something and say, 
this story might take us this way, this story might take us this way, but we are obligated as journalists to ask the question. Or we have had local newsrooms say things like, we got this tip. It is our obligation as journalists to find out if it's true. We followed we followed where the facts took us and this story is the result, as opposed to we went digging around because we wanted to prove that there was corruption. One of the things you say is that newsrooms need to reward skepticism. How do you define skepticism? I go back to what my kids were taught in school, like basic media literacy. Don't believe everything you see. Check it out. What was the source? Um, don't automatically give give information and people the benefit of the doubt. And journalists are incredibly skeptical as human beings. We don't believe automatically when people tell us. We get four sources before we say something's true. And yet somehow when people are skeptical of us as journalists, we expect automatic trust. We think that because we work at this organization or call ourselves a journalist, you know, it's not like there's a certification. There's no, you don't have to have a degree. There's no test you have to pass. Anyone can call themselves a journalist. And there are a lot of irresponsible things done in the name of journalism. Any complaint somebody has about journalism, any accusation, I can find you examples where it's true. And so for us as journalists to say, no, you should just trust me. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think that journalists should instead say, oh, you want to know where we got it? Here, I'll bring you the receipts. The Monkey's Farewell Tour, featuring Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolan's Live. A night of music, harmony, and fun. Playing all their hits and deep cuts in a not-to-be-missed evening of songs and stories. The Monkey's Live in Concert. Catch all the classics in one amazing night. Friday, September 10th, 8 p.m., the First Interstate Center for the Arts. Tickets on sale now at TicketsWest.com. The Monkey's Farewell Tour, featuring Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolan's. We're speaking with Joy Mayer, director of Trusting News on How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. I'd like to start part two of our interview with a two-part question. And the first part is, what do journalists not understand about the public? I think that journalists fundamentally lack empathy for how confusing and overwhelming it is to be a news consumer. I think we forget that people are seeing headlines go by and they contradict themselves and, and people are throwing up their hands saying, I just don't know what to believe. And I think that's really valid. And we forget that even though we are putting out credible, responsible information, not everybody automatically knows that. I think we also are very quick to put people in buckets. This is actually the number one thing we heard through our interviews with conservatives or people who identify with some sort of conservative label is that we assume they're all the same that will say conservatives think this. And you know, journalists do that with a lot of, we'll say people in this town think this, women think this. It's, it's ridiculous the way we sometimes oversimplify. But especially with conservatives, we had a lot of people identifying their contradictions. You know, I'm gay and conservative. I'm atheist and conservative. So many things. And, and it's like journalists, because then maybe they have less experience themselves or aren't surrounded by people with a lot of diverse views, are too often very quick to stick a label on somebody and assume that they know other things about them. And what does the public fail to understand about journalism or journalists? I think the public has this idea of the media and certainly here's a lot of messages about the media and what's wrong with the media, but that is a hugely diverse umbrella of things. It's talk radio hosts, it's uh, local news, it's, it's all the variety of national news. 
And journalists within the media cover all kinds of things. You have travel writers, you have people who cover like certain departments within Congress, you have science writers. There are just so many types of journalists. People really also don't understand that the local business model is imploding. The research into how people think news is funded is kind of scary. There was a big project from the Knight Foundation a year or two ago, and a disturbingly high percentage of people think the local news business situation is in fine shape, but it costs a lot of money to have boots on the ground doing local reporting. And um, that that I wish it could be free thing um, doesn't take into account that it's expensive and, and often relies on community support. People think that advertising should just support local news and it just doesn't anymore. And that's that's not a factor in the attention given to local news. It's just a factor in how the economic situation has changed. Let's talk about diversity in newsrooms. Very often when there's a conversation around diversity, people think it just involves either racial or gender diversity, which are, which are very important. But there are also other forms of diversity that really matter if a newsroom is going to reflect the people it serves and understand the people it serves. You are absolutely right. I think that we forget sometimes that um, the reason we're interested in diversity is because we want people who see, who have different experiences and see the world different. It's not that we are checking boxes or looking for quotas. It's not something you can hide. You look around the newsroom and it's mostly white folks and that is not something that that you can pretend isn't true, right? And it's not, and it's something your your community can easily hold you accountable for. When I talk about intellectual diversity, what I mean is, um, number one, is there difference within the whole? Do you have people who see the world differently, who will check each other differently? Man, journalism is a team sport and we rely on each other to say, wait, you're going to use that word? Are you sure? Do you realize that's going to trigger this in other people? Or have you thought about this? Or how are you doing this story and not interviewing this person? The second thing we need, though, is a newsroom culture that empowers people to speak up about that, that empowers the people who have minority views, different views, um, maybe views that are seen as less mainstream um, or less socially acceptable to speak up and to say, I think there's a problem with how we're covering this. And very often, um, so we need people promoted to management and we need, pe we need a newsroom culture that encourages people to really advocate for what they see as wrong with the profession. What can news consumers do to when they see something in a story that they don't like, I mean, you talk about transparency. There's been a nice movement in the last, really going back about 20 years now, for a lot of reporters to put their email addresses and their contact info in there. Is that working? Are, are, are reporters learning good things when, when readers contact them? I think it's working. And I think the answer is going to be different depending on the culture of the newsroom and how much they prioritize sort of being responsive to your community. You know, some newsrooms will blow it off and just say, oh, I don't have time to read the comments or answer the email or whatever. And in other newsrooms, they, they have a culture and, and place a value on being responsive to that. I think that, you know, when we start working with a newsroom, very often what we start with is sort of um, collecting that feedback, collecting the themes from the newsroom. What do you hear? Oh, your community's mad that you have a paywall. Well, have you told them why you charge for the news after 10 free stories? Have you explained that? Do you have it? Is, is that on your website somewhere? Do you, do you get into the comment threads and paste in there and say, sorry, you're frustrated about that. We understand it. We wish we could give the news away for free. Here's why we charge and here's how you can support. So we talk a lot about that sort of counter narrative and, and injecting the story about you and your values and your integrity into those conversations. I think so we start by looking at feedback and 
you know, if you're hearing from one listener or reader with that question, there are probably a lot of others who have that question as well. So can you consider it part of your job to answer it? Do you care that people have this misperception about you or are you just going to delete it and move on with your life? Joy Mayer, a final question. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the one solution that we really will get some progress on in, in the months and years ahead? My greatest hope with the work that I'm doing is that people reimagine their relationship with local news. My hope is that local journalists can explain who they are, where they're coming from, what their job is and isn't, be responsive to their community in a way that feels vital and important and something that the community feels like they can invest in. I believe that that access to good information is is key to the survival of local communities. And so I have a lot of faith and hope about that. Joy Mayer joining us from Sarasota, Florida. She's with Trusting News. Coming up, our recommendation. Richard, I think it's your turn to do the recommendation. What have you got for us this week? Yeah, a show called The Chair on Netflix. It has a wonderful cast, including Sandra Oh, Holland Taylor, and Jay Duplass. Or is it Duplass? I'm not sure. The story involves how social media shaming and cancel culture on a college campus led to a rocky ride for a professor and his boss, the dean of the school's English department. It sounds right up my alley. Now our conversation. Jim, one thing we did not talk about was emotional language or even distortions that are sometimes used in news reports to describe how people or groups react to a controversy. Instead of saying, for instance, opponents say... A reporter might write that opponents slammed something. Uh, You have a great example that's popular among conservatives who feel they don't get fair coverage in mainstream media. Republicans pounce. What is this? It's kind of a meme in some circles. If there's a scandal with a Republican, it's usually a pretty big story and other Republicans have to comment on what they think of this terrible thing that somebody did. But if there's a scandal involving Democrats, more typically, it doesn't get a lot of coverage until Republicans respond to it. And then the big headline is Republicans pounce on news that Virginia Governor Northam was photographed in blackface or whatever the the scandal might be. And so it's happened so often that it's a running joke. And what's funny is that journalists don't know it's a running joke (laughs) because none of them read any conservative outlets. So they do this thing that that is... uh, immediately poke fun at and they're and they don't even realize that they're falling for a, a a certain pattern you know just because you mean well doesn't mean you're doing well <laughs> and, exactly and, and journalists should also give more coverage to solutions that's something else we've discussed in a few past episodes not just asking the usual questions of who what when where why when a story is covered but also now what What can we do with this information, perhaps, to try and make things better? That whole movement of solutions journalism, which we've covered from the get-go here, is is really important because it forces journalists out of the more narrative framing of a story. I think really over the last 
I'd say at least 30 years, there's been this trend in journalism towards more narrative uh, coverage to make newspaper stories more like magazine articles that have more of a point of view. They tell you some background on how the, the how the whatever the event is developed, and that can make very compelling reading. Problem is that it starts to fall into the tropes of of literature, which includes having to have characters have certain moral motivations. And I, I've got this theory that a lot of what goes wrong in in journalistic bias is people jumping to moral conclusions about why people are doing certain things. They're trying not only to map out the facts of what happened, but they're also trying to map out a kind of a, a moral landscape that can help, to help explain why it happened. And the moral part is where they go off the rails. My dad was a proud Welshman. And when our family moved to the UK from uh, New York when I was a teenager, I remember my dad saying that he missed reading the American press. And I said, why? And he said, because there is a clear separation between news and opinion, that separation in many publications has really eroded. Uh, it's fine to print opinions, but the opinions should be labeled as such. It's the things people don't even think they need to check is where a certain kind of bias, not a not a bias that's intended, but a certain kind of bias creeps into stories when there are certain things people just believe to be true and they can drop those into stories uh, as context when, in fact, those things might not be true at all. And and, and I think uh, Joy's work and, and her organization is is really doing a great service to help local journalists learn how to to rise above those weaknesses that we all have. And uh, and produce journalism that that really maintains the trust of their readers or our viewers or podcast listeners or whatever they might be. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Our podcast, a production of Davies Content. We consult with nonprofits and companies about podcasts and how they can be created and made better. If you want to find out more, we're at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.